0: Turn, if you would, to 3rd John. And if you thought 2 John was short last week, 3rd John is even shorter, so we should be done real quick. Next week, we will start covering the doctrinal statement of the church. In theory, somebody is printing up 150 copies of this for me. So we'll hand them out, and you'll have the doctrinal statement of the church, Um, and we'll start at the beginning of it and work our way through, hopefully finishing by the end of the year. But you know, you never know. We spent a lot of weeks in 1 John. Then we spent one week in 2 John, and we're going to spend one week in 3 John. I told you last week that 2 John is really just a summary of 1 John. And in fact, I read one uh, commentary this week who speculated, and they said it was pure speculation, that these three letters may have been delivered in a package. The third letter is addressed to an individual, Gaius, an individual in the church, the Second letter, Second John, is addressed to a specific church. If you remember, we had a discussion about that last week. And First John, which is the big letter, is addressed to, well, all the churches. It's like, make a copy of this one, deliver this one to the church, deliver this one to Gaius. So Third John is a very personal letter. It is a letter written to a guy named Gaius. Okay, that's the difference between it and 2 John. Now, it ends in exactly the same way as 2 John ends. He writes a little bit, and he says, I could write a whole bunch more, but I'm going to wait until I see you because I want to have fellowship with you. So, here we go. Our race through 3 John. The elder... Once again, uh, John refers to himself as the elder. He is the elder apostle. He may be the only surviving apostle at this point. Um, He's not saying I am the elder of a specific church, although he probably was. He is the elder to the beloved Gaius whom I love in truth. The book is addressed to Gaius, We don't know anything about Gaius other than 3 John. There is another Gaius that's mentioned in the scripture, but Gaius was a very common name. So there's nothing that says, oh, these are all the same people. Could be, I don't know. We're not going to speculate on it. Once again, as he refers to believers in general in 1 John and the specific church in 2 John, He refers to Gaius as my beloved. It is a term of endearment. Um, Some of the translations just translate that, my dear friend. But this is a lot stronger than my dear friend. This is, in fact, the beloved. To my beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Now, you remember, we had long discussions in 1 John... We had a shorter discussion last week about that in John's mind, there is no distinction between love and truth. You can't pick one. They go hand in hand. Now, whom I love in truth, you could take in a couple of different ways. One of them is, I do truly love you. But I think what he's going to say is, I love you because of The fact that you are walking in the truth, we are walking in the truth, and the truth is really important because he's going to talk about truth a little bit more in the following verses. To those who are called, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth. As indeed you are walking in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So what word is used repeatedly? Truth, 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 and truth. So, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health, and it goes well with your soul." He wants things to go well with Gaius, both physically praying for his health and spiritually praying for his soul. It is interesting, some discussions that were brought out about this verse talk about the fact that sometimes we spend all of our time praying about physical needs for other people and we forget to pray about their spiritual needs. Or, conversely, we begin to think that just praying for physical, well, that's not important. Let's just pray for spiritual. To John, there is no distinction. He's praying for Gaius, both physically and spiritually. Why is this important? Well, we saw it in last week's lesson, and we saw it throughout the book of 1 John. John wants us to know that Jesus came in the flesh. Jesus, the Son of God, came in the flesh, thus emphasizing the fact that the flesh in and of itself is not wicked and evil. Jesus is God in human form. In the same way, we are physical beings with a... No, we are spiritual beings that happen to have a body. So John is praying for Gaius physically and spiritually that everything may go well. This is the introduction to the letter, and he's saying what he wants to be true. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth. Who are the brothers? Well, obviously, more about this in just a moment, you remember last week's lesson? John is telling the church, watch out for wandering teachers who are teaching the wrong thing. Well, people would go and teach congregation to congregation. And they came to Gaius's church, wherever that might be, and they said, hey, he's walking in the truth. Then they come back to John and say, you know this guy Gaius? And he goes, yeah, I know that guy Gaius. He is walking in the truth. And John goes, great. That is a great thing to hear that you, Gaius, are walking in the truth. Now, what does it mean to walk in the truth? You see, we oftentimes think truth is some mental process. I know the truth. I think about the truth. I process that that in my head. And sometimes we have this bizarre idea that Christianity is affirming certain truths about who God is. We're actually going to talk about this next week and the week after that and the week after that and the week after that because when we go through the doctrinal statement of the church we need to remember it's not just affirming certain statements in our mind that we believe are true although that's part of it. What we really want is to be like Gaius and walk in the truth. I believe that God is sovereign. Okay, how does that change my life tomorrow? How does that affect what I do today? It isn't just, yes, my mind agrees with certain statements. These statements guide my life. And John is hearing that Gaius, his beloved, is walking in the truth. He is hearing certain statements, Gaius, and he is taking those statements and he is walking in that path. Do you see the distinction between just knowing and, by the way, you have to know before you do? If you want to use Big words, orthodoxy is believing the truth. Orthopraxy is practicing the truth in everyday life. And Gaius is walking in the truth. Now, what truth is it? Well, it's the truth about Jesus Christ. Remember all that stuff that we talked about in 1 John? It's that stuff. That Jesus Christ, God, came in human form to save us from our sins. What does that mean to your life tomorrow? How does it change the way you walk in your life? And John is excited to hear that Gaius is walking in the truth I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth now children here is not biological children although the statement is very true when referring to biological children it is referring to people that John has ministered to And in ministering to them, they have taken that as part of their life and are walking in the truth. I can tell you, standing as a teacher, I teach somebody something and they go, well, that was interesting, and then they go live something totally different. That's kind of disheartening. You begin to think, why did I bother in the first place? But occasionally... You will hear somebody say, I heard what you said, I put it into practice, and here is the result. Now, I will say, the majority of the time, we don't know. As a teacher, you just don't know the effect that the teaching has. That's why to John, it is exciting to hear that his spiritual child Gaius continues to walk in the truth. Now, biologically speaking, it is wonderful to know that your children are walking in the truth. And in the same way, it's very sad when that doesn't happen. And we all know people, relate to people. Some of us may be those people who struggle with that. We know that, right? We'll trust God to handle those situations. So, this is the introduction to the book. Gaius, my beloved, in the truth, I have heard that you are walking in the truth, and there's nothing that brings me joy more than you walking in the truth. Now, just an interesting aside... Don't raise your hand. This would get us all in trouble, okay? <laughs> if your spiritual or biological child, we'll take either one. Is making a million bucks a year in their chosen profession or they're walking in the truth? Not both. Which would bring you most joy? Just, I don't know, okay? Wouldn't you be really excited if your kid was making a million dollars a year? Wouldn't you be really excited? You know, you'd want a loan. Not a loan, (laughs) a gift, (laughs) a grant, payback, something. Yes? Sterling comments that one is a temporary joy and one is a permanent joy. There was a uh, speaker, and I don't really know who it was because I've heard two different names of who it was. It's one of those stories that probably a lot of people used. And he would address audiences of men. And he would say, this was his big, bold statement to start, many of you would rather your child go to Harvard than go to heaven. And that's one of those statements that, you know, preachers use to get people's... But you know what? There is some truth to that. Now, nobody's going to say, I'd rather my child go to Harvard than to heaven, but we live our lives as if we're more impressed when the person has the million dollars than when the people are walking in truth just an aside (sighs) why why must we choose because we have to choose okay what is the famous saying it is not wrong for a king to want to be a saint but is wrong for a saint to want to be a king sometimes God raises up kings who are saints in the same way that Abraham was filthy rich and he was a patriarch of the church. But when the wealth becomes the goal, it interferes with the other. There's nothing that says you can't be both. There is nothing that says you can't be both. In the providence of God, some have both. I've told you before in here the story of R.G. Letourneau. You know, Letourneau University out there, great engineer, huge engineering firm. Every year, he'd pay all of his bills, he would take care of his needs, and he'd give all the rest of his money away, and he'd start the next year. Okay? It is possible. But as Jesus said about the rich young ruler, it is difficult. So, you're right. It is theoretically possible. Beloved, verse 5. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are to you, they are, who testified to your love before the church, You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers in the truth. So, the people who just came and told John that Gaius is doing real well had visited Gaius' church. Now, remember, I just hinted at it a while ago, last week's lesson. John was telling the local church, there are false teachers, and you are not to let them stand in your pulpit and teach you. Don't be tolerant. Don't be nothing. Don't let them stand in your pulpit, because if they stand in your pulpit, you, the community, are saying, we're supporting this person. But in John, chapter, I mean in Third John, he's saying to Gaius, "These guys came, and you supported them as you ought to have supported them, because they were speaking the truth." So, what is lesson number one? Discernment. There's Second John have nothing to do with them. There's. Third, John, support them any way you can. You see, because I know what I would do. I would either get burned and say, I supported somebody, he was wrong, I am never supporting anyone again. Okay? If they're not blood related to me or whatever, I'm not going to support them. Or, well, he says he's a Christian. Why not let him stand up front and talk? And John is telling us between the two letters that we have to practice discernment. We have an obligation to support those who are in the ministry. We need to support them. They need supporting. If you will, these are what we would call today missionaries. They are traveling around spreading the word, spreading the gospel, spreading the truth. So, do not be surprised that there's false teachers. But the fact that there's false teachers doesn't remove from us the obligation to support the good teachers. Okay? Backing up. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are. It is obvious Gaius didn't know who these people were. They showed up at the church. They said, hey, we're buddies of John. And I bet somebody, Gaius, someone else, started asking him about that. What do you think about Jesus? What do you think about that? Whatever. And he found they were true teachers, teachers of the truth even though to Gaius they were strangers. Who testified to your love before the church, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Okay? What is a manner worthy of God? Okay? You throw them a few bucks and you kick them out the door. Well, you could do that. If Jesus had visited your church, what would you have done? Okay, you'd have fed him a good meal, not the least you could get away with, but the best that you could provide, within obviously the means of the congregation. You would have treated Jesus with dignity and respect. And you would send the, Jesus on his way with enough food for dinner. Now. Some pocket money. Huh? <laughs> and, some pocket. and some pocket money. But Jesus sent his disciples away with no pocket money. Okay. Anyway. We're probably not talking wealthy congregations here. But what they had, they shared generously. What they had, they used to provide for the needs of those who were spreading the gospel message. That's what John is complimenting Gaius for doing. Now, it is interesting the next little phrase, for they've gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. In the Baptist church that I grew up in, good Southern Baptist church, uh, we kind of had a policy. We didn't have bake sales. We didn't have things like that because the church needs to support the church. Not the congregation I mean, I mean, not the community of unbelievers. That was kind of our policy. Now, why would we do that? Because we know that if I'm teaching the gospel, and I go to my unbelieving friend and say, "Hey, why don't you contribute to our needs," that the tendency not it's stuck. Going to have to happen, but the tendency is going to be to start watering down the gospel in order to ensure that my neighbor is not offended and thus gives me more money. These teachers were not accepting money from the Gentiles because they weren't going to compromise the gospel message just to appease people who are donating money to the cause. You've been in the church service here enough times when they get up and say, welcome visitors, and they say, we do not want your money. Okay? They say that. Now, I think this applies particularly, but not necessarily exclusively, to the gospel message. If we, as a congregation, send uh, relief funds to hurricane victims and our pagan neighbors want to contribute to that, I, I might give in to that. Maybe. Okay? But anything having to do with the presentation of the gospel, we cannot compromise by being beholden to people who don't necessarily believe the gospel. So, John is telling Gaius, thank you for providing for these needs because they're not asking for money from the Gentiles. Now, you know, right, to a Jew, the world is divided into two groups, right? There are Jews and there are Gentiles. In the same way that a Uh, Greek. There are Greeks and there are barbarians. So he's using this word Gentile in a strange fashion since Gaius is probably a Gentile. He's not a Jew, but we don't know. But he's using it to make that same distinction that would have been made in a Jewish audience. The Gentiles being those outside the faith. For they have gone out for the sake of the name. Here's an easy question What is the name? Jesus. They are going because of Jesus Christ. Why is this important? Well, if I am an ambassador, For the United States to some foreign country, I am there as a representative of the United States. I am not there as a private citizen. And what I do in the name of America reflects on the country that sends me. I'm not there for my own pleasure or profit or anything else. I am there as the representative, the ambassador of the United States. These people are going for the sake of the name, the reputation, the calling of Jesus Christ. That's what's driving them to do what they do. And guess what? It is the responsibility of us to support them. Why? Well, the last statement. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers in the truth. Now, like a lot of things, you can fall off the edge on either side. Okay? We begin to think that if I slip five bucks in the missionary's pocket, I've satisfied all my requirements to God. No, you're still responsible in the area that God has put you, okay? God has put you right here. He has put you in contact with certain neighbors, certain friends, certain family, whatever. You need to do that. Paying them doesn't alleviate you from doing what you ought to do. But at the same time, we are supposed to support them. And in supporting them, we are participating in that missionary endeavor. Not many of us, some will, but not many of us will go to the far reaches of the world to share the gospel. All of us can support those who do go to the far reaches of the world to share the gospel. And we ought to do that. And in doing so, we are participating in their ministry. I was reading an article and it was talking, well, it has nothing to do with Christianity at all. It was actually talking about philanthropy work. And this guy encourages his students, don't go be do philanthropy work. Go get a really good paying job and support the philanthropy work. Somebody needs to do both of those. But in our minds, we think, oh, they're really doing what God wants, and me, I'm just sitting. No. Somebody has to send, and somebody has to go. Now, in my perfect world, sometimes you're the sender, and sometimes you're the goer. Does that even make sense? You're the one that goes. And if you have the opportunity, do it. Do it more likely you'll have the opportunity to send. And John is complimenting Gaius for supporting the ministry of people that to him were strangers, and I might add strangers probably at the beginning of the relationship, who were strangers and supporting them in their missionary work. And John said, great job, Gaius. So, we are called to support missionary endeavors. <sighs> I have written something to the church, but Di Trephius, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, if I come, I will bring up what he is doing talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want and puts them out of the church. (sighs) Other than the fact that I don't know how to pronounce uh, Trephius, what is he saying? Well, Gaius, beloved, walking in the truth. Missionaries, Spreading the truth, life is good. And then there's the bad guy. There's always a bad guy. What is he doing? He likes to put himself first. That's an interesting phrase. Don't raise your hand. How many of you, how many of us like to put ourselves first? What is that called? Pride, arrogance. You know, I am just a little bit more important than you. I'll get in line first. We have somebody in the church, obviously in some position of authority in the church. John has sent a letter to the church, and this individual says, hey, We're not going to read that in church. What does John have to say to us? Does he know our problems? Does he know how to take care of us? No, he's way over there. Let's take care of it. Let's listen to me. He likes to put himself first, and he does not acknowledge our authority. Now, If you go home today and are talking about this lesson and you choose not to accept my authority on what I'm saying, more power to you. You're doing great. Okay? This is John the Apostle. Not just an elder, the elder. John who is writing what we now have in the Scripture. By the way, that's next week's lesson. Step one of the doctrinal statement of the church, the scripture, okay? This is the guy who has been with Jesus, went up on the mountain of transfiguration with Jesus, saw Jesus killed, saw Jesus resurrected, and has suffered for the faith, and he is writing a church and the church, well, not the church, some guy in the church is saying, you know what, who is this John fellow? Have you ever met him? Probably not. Why do we listen to him? He's a nobody. Now, the problem that we have here is not just that we have an individual who is rejecting the authority. We live in a society today who just hates the whole idea of authority. Okay. If you took the opportunity, we just, those of us who are church members, had the opportunity to vote for deacons and elders. And just as an aside, in case you didn't know, I grew up in a Baptist church. We voted for deacons, and the ones with the most votes won, okay? That is not the way our church votes on elders and deacons. It's not a competition between this group of people and that group of people, We're asking the congregation to confirm what the elders have decided. These people are qualified to be elders. These people are qualified to be deacons. And the reason we do that is if half the congregation says no, we're going, oh, shoot, we missed something. So it's not a competition. But we choose elders and deacons, and guess what? The elders are responsible to God for this congregation. And what does that mean? It means you are supposed to accept their authority. And sometimes we don't like that. We don't like it. We don't like anybody telling us what to do. That is the modern age in which we live. So it is interesting John is saying he's not accepting my authority when we live in an age that has, well, not much purpose for any authority at all. So, if I come, I will bring up what he is doing. He is talking wicked nonsense against us. He doesn't say, John doesn't say what Diotrephus is actually saying. He just kind of groups it into this category of wicked nonsense. Now, at this point, if I were leaning toward the antagonistic end, we would have a long discussion about what wicked nonsense is. Okay, I would contend that in our world today, there's a lot of wicked nonsense going around. But let me let you in on a secret. If you, if you hear gossip about one of the elders of this church... You do not, under any circumstances, tell it to your best friend next door. Ever, 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 ever. Why? First off, the odds are it's wicked nonsense. Secondly, we have a process that you're supposed to follow. You go talk to the elder and say, I heard this. Can you explain it to me? I've told you before, my son-in-law is on staff at another church, and they just have a basic policy. Somebody comes to you and says, I've got a problem with Joe, okay? And the guy says, okay, you have 24 hours to go talk with Joe, or we're going to go talk to Joe. We just love talking about people. We just love that. And as they say, Being good Christians, we do it in the form of prayer request. (laughs) Let's pray for Sterling. Did you know what he's doing? It's wicked nonsense. There's a process for handling that. We should follow it. Particularly if it is with regard to those in authority. Because you know once again, in our modern age, there's just people who want to poke that authority. Did you know? Did you know? Did you know? And you go, did you go talk to them about it? Well, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> then stop talking. That's. John, did John go to this guy? We do not know whether John made it to this church. OK, in the very end, he's saying, I'm going to talk to you when I get there. Like he did in second John, I'm going to talk to you when I get there. Okay. We don't know whether he actually made it to them. Okay? Now, it is quite possible in John's case, he got interrupted by being sent off to Patmos or something or being thrown in a vat of oil or being he had other problems. But his intention was I'm going to come and I'm going to talk to them. And when the the apostle comes, when the elder comes to talk to you, you're being talked to. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want and puts them out of the church. Who are the brothers? Speculation? It's the same brothers that Gaius was welcoming in the previous paragraph. He's not going to welcome them into the church because they were preaching the gospel? No, because they weren't recognizing him, him as the authority. And this last passage is interesting. You know that also stops those who want to, and puts them out of the church. If you remember the sermon however many weeks ago it was, we actually talked about it before the sermon. Biblically, there's a very clear process with dealing with problems within the church. You go to the person. You take a couple of friends with you, so you have a collective testimony. You present it to the congregation. And if the individual is still not repentant, you remove them from the church. Remember that process? Ted actually taught the sermon. Ted actually did his dissertation and wrote a book about that topic. Okay? The problem that we have here is that apparently... Diotrephus is using the same process to remove the good guys from the church. And you go, how could that be? Well, it actually happens. Why? Because we get people with with pride and a sense of self-worth in leadership, and if you contradict them, you need to be removed from the church. Unfortunately, the church the actual local church is made up of, are you ready for this? I hope this doesn't pop your bubble. It's made up of sinners. And guess what? You can ask Don all about church situations and people doing stupid things. Okay? They do. So Diotrepus was removing not the bad guys, but rather... The people who were spreading the gospel. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Just go home and memorize that, would you? Why would we imitate evil? Number one, it is a whole lot of fun. Number two, sometimes it appears to work. It does. I'm running a political campaign for some unknown candidate. And you know what? I start saying a few things about my opponent that may be true. Maybe. Eh, could be. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It works. Guess what? We as Christians, are not allowed to do that. But it works! We, as Christians, are not allowed to do that. But the phrase is interesting. Imitate. What does that mean? It means I'm looking at this person and they're doing evil. But you know what? They've got a nice house, they got a nice car, they won the promotion, they won the political race. And I began to think, what are they doing that I need to do in order to get that? But over here is the good. And we know people who are doing that which is good. And you and I learn by imitating. I want to be like this. Or I want to be like that. Now, I know what you really spiritual people are saying. Okay? Shouldn't we just imitate Christ? That's true. But sometimes we need to see What's happening. We need to see that person is doing good. I'm going to imitate that. That's why Paul tells us, imitate me. And you know, at first glance you think, that's a pretty arrogant thing to do. But he'll just tell you, I'm imitating Christ. Now, ultimately we should imitate Christ. But sometimes we as We need to see it. But when we're looking at it to imitate, we need to discern. Good, evil. Imitate, yes. Imitate, no. Discernment. We need to learn who we're going to copy. We could have a long discussion about the good, but whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. We have yet another individual who is being mentioned. I have much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink That's the exact same sentence that was at the end of 2 John. I hope to see you soon, and we'll talk face-to-face with you. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. All of my buddies are telling all of your buddies, hello. All your buddies need to talk. Okay, you got it, right? And that ends 3 John. What's the point of this? Well, the first point is just John encouraging Gaius. I mean, this is a personal letter. John is encouraging Gaius. What is he encouraging him? By pointing out when he is walking in truth, for pointing out his supporting ministry efforts, and he's also warning Gaius about, eh, here's the bad stuff that you need to stay away from. And then he's saying, do the good and don't do the bad. And you know what? Tomorrow you're going to wake up and you're going to have the opportunity. You're going to read something in a magazine or a newspaper and you're going to have an opportunity to imitate the good or imitate the bad. Number one thing you have to realize, there is a difference. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you. For the writings of John. Thank you for his pursuit of love and his pursuit of truth. I pray, Lord, that we too would be pursuers of love and pursuers of truth. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.